thanks for joining us on Coast to Coast Pest Talk. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to Coast to Coast Pest Talk. I'm your host, Gabe Seymour with Pest Patrol, here with Andy Sinefsky with Perimitech Pest Management. And today we're going to be discussing... Uh, we're going to be discussing scale, scaling the business, some of the dangers of scaling too quickly or scaling potentially too large, and some of the advantages that we have as smaller companies as well. I feel like there is a prime sweet spot where you have developed enough capacity um, and some economies of scale and some substantial capabilities and manpower enough capacity to do the best possible work. And after you get over that, you start getting into declining returns Yeah, where your service starts to decline. Your culture starts to decline. You gain in economies uh, financially, yeah. Yeah. but you start to lose that where you're like, you're not doing the best you can do to for your customer, you're going to start to see attrition and you're going to have to start to fight that. You're going to have to start investing in special programs to develop and maintain your company culture because it has started to deter- deteriorate because you went past that point. And I think it's a lot smaller than most people think. I, th- I think it's yeah. like way down there. I think it's like in the sub 100 employee category, like maybe yeah. even sub 50 employee category is where that like real sweet spot of like really strong killer pest control companies live. Like you get in that, say, I don't know, probably 10 to 40 guy range, you know, employee range. And boy, those are dangerous little companies. And I mean, dangerous in a good way. Like, like you, I don't like going up against those companies, like in a competitive situation. I'm, I'm like, Oh boy. They're going to be they're, nimble and they're they, going to be yeah. creative. Exactly. I mean, it's that's a that's a tough one to beat out competitively. Yeah, yeah, they hit the sweet spot in um, in the sort of economies of scale without being so big that they lose their culture, that they lose the personability or the localness of the brand. And yeah, they can be super quick on their feet, and they have a lot of cash flow behind them. Yep, I mean, it's amazing. The company I was at before this. Uh, we had between 50 and 60 team members, depending on the time of year. And I felt like we were getting to the top end of where we could reasonably keep. And we had a fantastic culture, like yeah. Yeah. really, really good culture. But I, like one of the things we found is you have to spend tens and tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars to keep that culture. Like we're doing manager retreats and ton and super crazy bonus incentives. And like, yeah, there's and hiring people specifically to do that. And, uh, it, it's a a lot of labor goes into having to keep morale high and culture strong and stuff. So, right. Well, and see, and these are the things that don't end up, they don't end up factoring into that gross profit margin metric. Oh, yeah. You're not factoring those things into that. And so like, if you just look at gross profit margin, you're like, oh no, this is great. Let's drive that as, as fast and hard as we can. Um, and then you're never really, cause, cause it's, it's a hard thing to measure your company's culture and your, your people's buy-in is not something that shows up on your P and L in a, in a real good way. Um, yeah. we really haven't had a lot of, 
um, development or work on that side of the, those quote unquote soft skills side of things to the point where if most people, if you ask intelligent people that have looked at this, that are, that are experienced in business, what is your company? What is company culture? What's the actual fabric of your company culture? They don't know. And, and they'll also tell you it's the single most important thing that determines success. Right. Like aside from, from people, which are the people are an outgrowth of the culture, you know, any, anyway. Yep. And you can't define the actual fabric of it. Like the psychological fabric, what makes up that, where does it live? Where does it exist? Show it to me. And we don't have it. Right. So, so, so that's why it's, it, it's, it's tough. It's, it's a, it's a tough nut to crack, but um, this was what I was in my sleep the other night working on. <laughs> um so one of the things that that i right before i went to bed i was looking at this um there's a mathematical equation to determine how many connection points are required to connect every single node in like in a network okay So, so if you had like say you had three separate nodes in a network there's a mathematical equation to determine how many connections does it do you need to have a one-to-one connection to every one of those. Okay, so so it, it's three. So as you add nodes to that, and to, to me, I started looking at a single node as being like an employee. So as you add every single employee to have a one-to-one connection between every other employee, it grows geometrically. Right. The, the amount of connections that are required for every single yes. person, say, to talk to every other person in your company. Yeah. Now, this became interesting to me because as you add these, it started to sort of quantify the difficulty of having an interpersonal connection, a direct connection, say, with the founder, with senior leadership, with technical staff among each other, with uh, the admin staff, with the technical staff, the salespeople with the admin, like you start to have a huge problem with that yeah. connection when you have. And so I, I ran some of the, these numbers through the formula. When you have like four people um, and you're that size, it takes 18 connection points to have every single person connect with every other person. That's not very many. You probably could do that every single day. That right. probably happened. Now, when you get to, to our size, it doesn't grow that much. We're eight-person staff, 28. So right. we're still well within that. Now, when you start getting up into the higher numbers where you have 43 people, it takes 1,377 connection points to make 43 people all connect one-to-one. You get to 85, it's 4,200. Somewhere it's I don't have the exact number, but it's about forty two hundred. So it grows wow. exponentially as you go. And I started to think about this as like a connection resistance measure, like the the amount of resistance there is, like in a resistor in a like electronics, like how much yeah. electricity you have to push into a resistor to get electricity out the back end. Right. Um, you also could convert this directly. I thought of this was directly into dollars. So for Gabe Seymour to connect his four people, he could spend $18, take everybody out to breakfast. Every single one of them has your, you know, order a pizza. It feeds everybody. Yeah. That 85 person place has got to spend $4,200. Right. (laughs) Probably consistently to be, to generate a similar, but probably even less impactful connection with every single person. Yes. So if you discount that like headwind, that you're driving into as you add people, 
you end up with a lot of problems. And I think that's why we end up talking about so often you just hear culture, 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 culture. People are like, oh my God, what, what do we do about this? We're trying to work against like a mathematical geometric problem. And, yeah, right. Because we've said it a bunch of times as we've talked, like the human relationships don't scale. There, there aren't efficiencies of scale as you add more people for relationship. It's, it's still one-to-one -one is the gold standard best. There's, there's just no way around that. Yeah. And one to 100 is not nearly as good. Your yeah. attention's divided a hundred times. It reminds me of like, have you, have you, uh, been in a group, whether maybe it's a, a team dinner or, um, with a group of friends and you've got that sweet spot, maybe, I don't know, six, seven, eight people that can kind of be at a table and be interacting. And then once you get outside of that, everything has to break up into micro conversations. Yep. Yep. Right. Absolutely. And all of a sudden the whole framework of everything shifts. It's not one group anymore with one vision and one conversation. Now it's 10 micro conversations. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and the same thing happens. I mean, we're a team of eight employees and we're just starting to see just a little bit of that. Yeah. Like we're just we where people kind of factionalize a little bit that these guys like each other over here and these two tend to talk a little more over here and you have to start to be a little bit deliberate. I think as you get into that 10 range, it's a, the first where you're you're kind of at the top of, you know, of what you can re really do. And I think when you look at um is it uh like in in the military they have like a platoon size is like 12 right. people. Yeah, right. 12 people in a in a team. And I think it was in like I think in the Bible they talk about like 10 you have 10 people is is a group and then you yeah, have, yeah, yeah. You have 10 groups of those is 100 and you know It's like they, Moses the delegation, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So this isn't like a new concept. I think we just disregarded it thinking, well, it's, you know, 2023, we're we're smarter than that. We can we can outsmart like human relationship. Uh, yeah. with our little tricks and shiny things. And I, I just, I don't think it, I don't think it actually works. If we just get our whole team on a discord server, then we can problem. Solve. It can be one to 50 and it works, right? Yes. Uh, yes. And, and we'll put together, I don't know, we'll do each morning. We'll do a little, uh, you know, broadcast to everyone. We'll have a team cheer and yep. uh, no, we're good. We're, It'll all be over zoom. It'll be great. It's yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. So um yeah, yeah, that that was uh that was pretty interesting though when I started to see how this like correlated. Um I also started to break this up a little bit, not just like a one-to-one -one for the nodes, but if you start to look at a company that is uh let's say 40 people, but it's two branches of 20 people separated. Yeah, right. I think you have to increase the resistance. Like two branches of 20 people has more resistance in its cultural dissemination than one branch of 40 people. If you're all in the, if you're all in the same, same place, I think you have to, you have to start to divide that out. Where... Yeah. But do you think there's gotta be a certain point at which, um, like it becomes nearly impossible, uh, to disseminate the culture throughout without separating it like the branch of 
20 people, 20 people, 20 people, 20 people. Sometimes that's practical because then you can have, okay, you're the manager and I just have to communicate the culture to you, make sure you get it and you pass it along. Whereas. Yeah. I I totally know, know what you're talking about. Cause I, we've talked about this a little before and some of this, as we're discussing this is theoretical. Like it's, it's, we're discussing this real time, trying to figure this out. We're not yeah. telling somebody like, I know all the answers just for as a disclaimer to anyone. Yeah, if anyone absolutely. actually listens to this. Yes. I thought the same thing. I thought, okay, if we just make it so that we have, you know, a really solid apostle in every single branch, right? Somebody that's my guy and, sure. and, and he'll be able to disseminate that down. When I've talked to people that have worked in that situation, there's no way the people in that branch, say if you had a, a, a 20 person branch, of a big organization and then a 20 person company that was privately owned one location. Yeah. The right. branch one, the people, the, the people in that branch, they recognize as much as that manager, they work for them directly and they quit bosses and not jobs and, and he could be great, but he, they know the power doesn't really lie there. Yeah. That, that's not, that's not the source of the culture. They're not close to the source of the culture. Um, mm. And they inherently know that versus a 20 person independent company where the owner, founder, somebody that is in charge with the power to make the decisions, um, the power of life and death, let's say, is right there. There's a whole different experience for that person. And, and so yeah. I, I don't know that it's probably better if you broke things out into those smaller units and then you empower those branch managers to have, you know, say so on a lot of things and people work for them, you probably, that's a mitigation strategy, but it's not, it's not the same. You can't approach the same uh, efficacy of disseminating that culture as if somebody sat down and talked to me at my business. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So would you say there's, um, then in a certain sense, there's a, a real sort of ceiling to realistically how large you can scale and have an effective uh, dissemination of culture. Probably. I, I mean, I, I don't know if it's a hard ceiling. I think it depends, again, theoretically, I think it depends on the willingness of the real source of power to overcome the resistance that is created by however many people they have. So if you were to go around and be, I think if you were to be the owner, you know, head, head person, you're the source of power there. And you had a hundred people and you were going and meeting directly with people basically all day, every day. Right. I think you could do that. I think as soon as you delegate those most important tasks of disseminating that culture out, it starts to dilute. And I don't think you get the same transmission. You could probably get better transmission than if you just ignored it and did what we traditionally do. Middle managers here and there and, uh, you know, whatever. Um, I think, I think that's where you start to, it gets diffused. Uh, and I don't know if there's a way around that. I mean, we, we'll see. Cause I like, literally I had thought this a year ago, that I was like, oh no, you just you just can train somebody really solid enough and and put them right there, and you get the as long as you have the right people in those middle middle positions, it'll be fine. But now, I as I talk to more people, I'm like, oh, 
I don't know. I, I didn't want there to be the answer of, yeah, there's a hard ceiling. I honestly wanted it to be, no, there's a way that I can, I can work around this. I'm smart enough to figure this out so that I can grow my company to a hundred people and it'll be great. And they'll have all the same culture that we have right now. It'll be just as, as perfect and wonderful as right now. And I, right. I just, I don't think that's the case, which means you got to come up with the, okay, what are you willing to sacrifice? What yeah. kind of, what kind of downgrade of your company and its culture are you willing to sacrifice for the sake of making more money and how much money right. is worth it to you to sacrifice that culture? Yeah. That's, it's not I, popular. I, I think you're totally right that however you scale, you're, um, at least after a certain point, you have to be okay with like quality is going to be quality is going to take a hit. Culture is going to take a hit. Um, morale is generally going to take a hit. Um, but yeah, the question is what percentage is, is worth, you know, are you willing to decrease, have your, your culture, morale, um, you know, efficiency, whatever, decrease 5% to make, $10 million gross sales. Right. You know, right. I don't think it's that. I don't think that's the the offering. <laughs> if it was only a 5% reduction in the culture and that kind of increase in revenue, I think we'd make that choice. But I think a lot of times to make that those big, huge jumps, you're making a, a big sacrifice. You have to sacrifice yeah. your firstborn child, basically. Yes. Yes. There you go. There you go. Because, I mean, really... Um, yeah, you, the apathy and stuff that's gonna gonna creep in. You got to be okay with that. And, and here's here's another side of this. We're gonna let it all fly today. So the other side of this is what really bothers me with this discussion. Why this ends up being a thorn in my side a little bit is that we will hear a lot of talk about having both. That you're gonna scale. And this, you're going to be humongous and you're going to grow super fast. You're going to, you're going to triple every year. You're going to, you know, put on so many new employees or whatever, but you're also making the claim that we made no sacrifices in our service. We have the best service of anybody. We have the best team. We have the best culture. And I, I kind of want to, it kind of irks me because, because I, I know for a fact that it's it's just not possible that you didn't make sacrifices in your culture and your service levels right made sacrifices you may not yeah. have consciously made those sacrifices it may have been at a subconscious level or a like um it was just an inherent byproduct of choosing to grow that fast but it definitely happened so to me you can't occupy both of those spaces at the same time yes. we've talked about being able to hold two two separate things but at, at sometimes it's it's not the case. You're light or dark. You know it, it's it's one or the other. Um, you you chose some downgrades <laughs> to to, yeah. to accommodate. And I I think that anybody that anybody that's honest and that has grown quickly at all, including you and me, um, that's had any sort of strong sales growth year over year, will tell you that you there's slippage that occurs whether it's financial culture whatever uh just focus general focus yep. as you're taking on more and you're sort of drowning 
and you're just trying to keep your head above water, that's like normal. That's natural. That's a, a standard part of doing business. Um, I'm with you. I think we just need to be honest about that and then realize that means if you want to scale an insanely quick, uh, you know, fashion, you, you're, you have to factor that in and be okay with that. You, you do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as we've seen, we've doubled every four years or so as a company for four or five years, we're running in that 20, 30% range every, every year. But yeah. with that, when you go from year one with me, myself in a rusty truck, the level of service that that those first customers got and attention is nowhere near where it is now with eight people. Right. And I'm not in the field. Yeah. It, and you, there, there's some point where you, you have to be a lot like allow for, for some of that if you're going to grow. And then the question is what level is, uh, is too much to let that slip. And I think the more that we are intentionally considering that and then making a decision on that, the better. Um, it's when you don't realize that's the decision you're making. Yep. Because it's presented with no consequences. Just grow your company as fast as you can go. Put everything into marketing. How do I sell more? How do I sell more? Yeah, that's you know, right. That's pursuit of more all the time. You're making a, a decision that you didn't realize was in there. It, it reminds me of like, you have like those Twilight Zones episodes. You're way too young to remember Twilight Zone, but Twilight Zone was this show and it was like in black and white and they would have one of the, one of the things was, um, I don't remember the specifics, but they would present you with like this, this choice. You can get everything you want, but then on the backside, it's almost like the classic genie story, you know, like on the yep. backside, oh, there was this negative side. Oh, you get anything you wish for, but you didn't know that there was this negative consequence um, on the, on the other side of that. And I think, I think that's where we are a lot of times. And we don't want to talk about that, that downside. Like there's no downside. Yeah. Grow. Just grow it, man. Just hire more people. Just buy more trucks. Yeah, totally. And something that struck me as, as we've been having this conversation is the importance, like, because there's going to be uh slippage and, and, and things are going to tend to decay more quickly as you scale and stuff. Um, you have to make sure that your culture is really potent from the get-go. Yeah. Like outlined clearly, communicated clearly and efficiently and consistently and a, a really strong, potent vision and mission. Otherwise, if you're starting with watered down or nebulous from the get, and then you go and you hire 10 people, yeah. it's not going to be good. Yeah, and I think that's why we see so many companies that have a course correction at some point yeah. where they'll yeah. get into where they have 20, 30 people and they go, oh my God, what did we do? We made a mess. We got to fire half these people and rehire and and whatever. So I've thought all along that the earlier in the process that a small operator can understand why he's doing this and work on himself first, him or herself, and get get their mind right of like, okay, this is what I'm really about. This is the deeper meaning that we're trying to accomplish here, the better. Because you're right, it will be a more potent culture. It'll hold up. It'll be it'll be something durable that that will hold up to to a lot more uh, scrutiny and a lot more stress as you go along. 
as opposed to trying to institute a culture after the fact and going, oh, I thought that I was just supposed to grow this company really big. And now we're, you know, bigger and I, it's a mess. And now I'm trying to re-institute a culture that should have been there to begin with. It, it's much easier to grow it from a seed if you got the right seed than to try to plant a new tree, cut down the old one <laughs> and plant a new one in its place. Uh, yeah, definitely. A lot, lot harder. Yeah. So you mean you don't want to 100x your business? No, again, with the, no, I'm not trying to, I got more emails today. Like, oh, do you need, tw- do you need 25X more leads? Uh, you know, I'm like, no, we have a, a great steady s- source of leads. We're growing at a very good pace that we're comfortable with. We can train people. We can get them acculturated at the right pace um, that I'm comfortable with. But I also thought like, I, I may, right now looking into the future for me, there's definitely a point where I feel uncomfortable in the future where I'm like, oh yeah, I can see that number of employees and that those compromises that I don't really want to make. Now I may get there five years, 10 years from now and go, eh, no big deal. I'm, I'm ready to make those compromises. I don't really care that much. <laughs> you know about right. just show about, me the money. It, maybe. Right. <laughs> um, Cause honestly, when you look 15 years back, me in a rusty truck would not have made the compromises that we have to make now to be like, okay, we're sending out technicians that have maybe a year's worth of training and experience. And they're doing these jobs when before I was like, Oh my God, they've only had a year. There's no way I'd let somebody go to a customer's place that only had a year of training and experience. Right. Which which sounds insane. Right. In our industry, you're like a year. You're going to get, you're going to wait a year for somebody. They're like a vet at that time. At that point. (laughs) Right. right. They're the old guy at a, at a, uh, another <laughs> operation, but th- you know, that's where, that's where my mind is quality wise. Yeah. You know, that's the kind of, the, the kind of thing. And, and this doesn't say that my, that's the best way for, for some people, if they're okay with it be like, Oh no, I give guys a, a month or six weeks of on the job training. And then they're out there and they're doing their job. And and for some people, depending on their business model, that may be perfectly adequate. It, you know, if you're depending on the types of jobs you're doing, I mean, if we're in nursing right. homes and medical facilities and, you know, dialysis centers doing, you know, food processing plants and stuff like that, you, you need this certain level. Not that my guys are better than anybody else's, but somebody's spraying a mosquito service in somebody's backyard they here's how the fogger works you're there for 10 minutes 20 minutes you mix it up like this you you go spray that and then you go on to your next job you're going to do 25 of these in a day you can probably teach somebody to do that a lot faster than what our process is so yeah exactly i'm not trying to like say everybody needs to have an apprentice for a year before they're ready to, to go out and do service on their own All right, guys, thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. Uh, Please follow us on your favorite podcast catcher. And if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to the channel. Leave us a question or comment in the comments below. And as always, uh, reviews, especially on podcast catchers, are super helpful to continuing to grow our audience. So thanks for listening.